Welcome to the Take A Seat Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. Before we get stuck into this episode, we want to say a massive thank you to our sponsor, the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at suncoastspinners.com.au. Welcome back to episode 11. Who have we got today, Cam? So we got uh, Carol Cook's roommate, Paige Greco, on today. Paige Greco. And what? where does she come from? So she's an Australian paracyclist who is the current world champion and Tokyo gold medalist. Well, that's enough of us talking about her. Let's talk to her ourselves, eh? Paige, we'd like to welcome you to take a seat with us on the Take a Seat Project. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Well, let's start right there. How, how do we know Carol? So Carol's one of my teammates and a really good friend. When I first started cycling, I got in contact with Carol and went on one of my first group rides with her. And yeah, from there she told me a little bit about paracycling. And then my first Road World Cup, we were actually roommates, I think, when we went to Italy and Belgium. So yeah, no, she's a really great friend. She's helped me along the way, especially because she's had so much experience um, competing internationally. And yeah, even now I can bounce ideas off her and just, yeah, she's been a really good friend of mine. Was she was she riding that 20, 20 odd kilo bike when you first met her? She wasn't, but I've heard about it. <laughs> that truck of a yeah. bike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Riding in Italy and Belgium. What was that like? It was pretty cool. It's always been a dream of mine to go overseas and compete. So yeah, going to my first World Cup in Italy was um pretty special and just just to see the like the scenery when you're riding on the road and yeah, it was just it was pretty cool to just be in that atmosphere and with all the girls. Yeah, my class. So I got selected in 2019. So yeah, out of school, been doing it um, for a few years and it was my first year on the on the Australian team. So yeah, it was a big year. There was a lot of firsts, international competitions and stuff. And so what uh, what what event in cycling? Are you uh, on, a, on a bicycle or a tricycle like Carol? No, so I'm on a bicycle, so two wheels. So mm-hmm. on the track, I do the three kilometre individual pursuit and on the road, I do the time trial on the road race. So I do a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Current world record holder and Tokyo gold medalist in the 3K on on the track. So Uh, she just kind of skimmed over the top of that. Oh, yeah. just So so currently world number one, is that? Yes, yeah, on the the velodrome. And three kilometre? Individual pursuit. I mean, I I struggle riding the Union back and that's like, that's that's two (laughs) kilometres. That's that's, that's an end of my Maybe the tyres are a bit flat. I don't know, but it's, yeah. (laughs) So what what memory stands out to you when you think of the best places that you've been cycling? Yeah, when I think about that, I think probably my first track world championships when it was my first trip to Europe. It was in the Netherlands and um, it was just a big eye-opener just... To be at that international stage, I'd never, I'd never been at that level before because I'd previously competed in athletics, and I always wanted to make it to the world championships Paralympic level, but um, I hadn't. So, yeah, when I think about those moments, I probably think that moment, especially when I um, I won my first race and I saw like the Australian flag, and that was a year where I thought, oh, maybe I do have a shot at making Tokyo. So, yeah, I always think about that moment. That was pretty special. Isn't it funny? I I always think like. 
when thinking back when you when you start first start playing a sport and you you play socially or you you play at the local rec league and then you sort of sign up for a team and then the first day at training or the first game that you go to it's sort of that atmosphere of euphoria it's like oh this it's really happening and then you go from there you go to regionals or state championships and again you get that euphoria feeling walking into the building i i mean i can't wait to to experience it myself but i can only imagine that at that world stage it's a lot more than going to your sunday park or velodrome you know how many how many spectators do you have in a velodrome you can have yeah it can get packed there's heaps of chairs i can't exactly remember for my first worlds how many there were but i imagine um, it's something still. like one of the footy footy stadiums around yeah prob- maybe not as big but especially in the pit area in the middle that can always be that looks busy yeah it is always very busy with all each country has their own little pit you know with all the athletes and bikes and mechanics and coaches so um, so similar to like your american like nascar sort of star with all the caravans yeah. in the middle <laughs> yeah. i immediately yeah. think back to the movie cars oh yeah. yeah talk us through being in those uh the pit in particular like what's your setup when you when you go racing what do you take what do you use do you have the same mechanic all the time or is it different people come with you um explain that pit because i've never been involved in it I, i've just watched it on tv and it looks busy, as I said. Yeah, so on competition, we everyone has their own, each country or each state has their own pit area and it can change all the time. Some people like to warm up in the pit area and just be in the moment and see, be able to see the track and the racing, whereas sometimes I like to, we either go to a storeroom or a separate room where some athletes just like to warm up and just listen to music and not sometimes have the busyness of the pit area while we're warming up. A bit of mindfulness, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so a bit, a bit of that. So that's what I usually like to do. And um, especially for, for Tokyo, since the velodrome was really hot, we decided to warm up in a separate area just to keep our body temperature cool and also because it was my first Paralympics just to kind of calm my nerves as much as I could. And then, yeah, we did like a five-minute, it was like five-minute walk from that storeroom into the um, pit area and the start line so it can definitely be really busy and especially your first was I do remember was really can be a bit daunting because especially when you go to a nationals compared to a world championships there's a lot more people but the, it's always a really great vibe like especially when you before competition you just go there for training it really definitely hypes you up and gets you excited for competing yeah nice. so that that yeah. that calming of the nerves is that like the the 15 minute mindfulness preparation guided guided med- meditation on YouTube or is that a bit more of a, <laughs> a sort of a well scripted piece that you'd have now? Oh, uh, not really. I usually just try and I have my headphones on, just listen to music, think about just doing, think about my warm up and what I need to do. And, you know, sometimes I can get caught up with what the other girls in my class are doing and how they're warming up. So it's good just to have a bit of space and a bit of distance. And then, so it's not really like a meditation, but it's, kind of my own little <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but yeah do you have what, what do you have like the, a three or four songs or one song that you go to straight away is there a, like a playlist that you have yeah definitely so I had a playlist and then actually for Tokyo my brother and sisters they did like a little playlist for me like Tokyo playlist that they gave me because obviously family couldn't come over yeah there's one song at least I always go to um, I'm a big Dua Lipa fan so yeah one of her, uh, uh, one nice. of her songs so yeah. Love it. Well, I think now the the anticipation is, is building. Yeah, it's the hard cards. Oh. Yeah, okay. Get 
out of here. <laughs> I thought it was going to be, but it's... Jesus. Right, Cameron, uh, do you want to explain to us what the hard cards are? Alrighty, so Paige, the hard cards are a whole heap of questions that we've got from the, the internet. They're also questions that James and I have put in here and some of our guests are through our social media and everything. What they are is a deck of cards, as you can see, James is fanning it out. And on the back of these cards are a whole heap of questions that really are just too hard to ask just in person. So we've disguised them through these cards and you can pick three cards and you can pick all three cards to answer or just one of the answers from there. From that, feel free to answer all of them or not. It's your choice and we'll just go from there. We'll read them out to you. It makes it nice and easy. There's that one. Pick two oh, more yeah. for us. Yeah. All righty. So we have had all these questions before. But it's... <laughs> they literally are. Yeah. All the ones that we've had before from other go. people, which yeah. will be great to see a different perspective on these questions. Oh, certainly. Okay. So question number one, what misconception makes you want to scream, that's not me? Question number two, name one thing you've given up for difficult reasons. Question number three, what decision do you wish you've never made? What question springs out straight away sort of? Yeah. Yeah. So what misconception makes you want to scream, that's not me? For me, sometimes I think what people, when people think of disability and maybe what they can't, they can't do. Sometimes I think um, if that's come up or if I hear about it, I'm always one to go, oh no, I'll give it a go or... Even if I can't do it, I'll always give it a go and find a solution of how I can do it, even if it might be a little bit um, different to how um, people might think that that's how it's done or, um, you know, if it's a particular sport or skill. So You know what's really I interesting? I was actually reading an article the other day. So I'm designing some, some projects and trying to make them all inclusive, essentially, for intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities anyone and everyone. And I came across this this article and it was sort of, I can't remember exactly what it's called. But I think it was like sort of social influences or um, social constructs of disability. Topic called discursive psychology. Cameron might know a bit about it, but um, essentially it's sort of the built opinion that's constructed socially that people have these inabilities or incapabilities to do things. And, and that's how we look at it. We look at someone that Oh, they can't do that rather than what they can do. So that's sort of it, that's sort of what my experience in, in the wheelchair basketball, you know, it's like, well, I don't really care what you can't do. Like, what can you do? And let's work on that, right? Like, mm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The way I explain it is glass half full, glass half empty. And everyone always knows that analogy of what, what's half full and what's half empty. And everyone looks at what they can't do rather than what they can do. And you're not the first guest to come on and say exactly that, that – don't not invite me or don't say, no, I, I can't do that. Let's let's go together. Let's figure it out. Um, if you're up for the challenge, oh, I'm up for the challenge. Let's make it happen. So that's a really good way to, to look at it. Has, has there ever been a scenario where someone has put you in a, in a bracket that they think you like you couldn't do that and you've actually had to say, yeah, you've actually had to say, hey, look, like, like, what are you doing? Like I can do that. Why, why would you think I can't? Yeah, there are a few things, but I think I've just also sometimes on the bike and being like my stability, obviously, because of my cerebral palsy is a little bit, I can sometimes be not as balanced. And I just think of little things like before Tokyo, I was on the treadmill on the bike. So I don't know if you've seen, it's just a massive treadmill where you put your bike on. And I I was able to do it. And it, it took me a few times and I did four a few times. But, um, you know, that's something where I don't think many people saw a para-athlete do it. But yeah, my coach and my team believed that I could do it, but yeah, sometimes just those little things where you don't really, you don't really see para athletes or people with disabilities doing something, but then you can show them, oh no, I can do it. It might not be, it might take me a little bit longer, but I'm able to do it. So 
I always like to be that person that goes, oh, no, I'll give it a go or as opposed to just saying, oh, maybe agreeing with them and saying, oh, no, I don't think I can do it. I always Mm. like to give things a go, even if it might not be how they think that you should do it. Mm. Do you mind us asking about cerebral palsy? Yeah, of course. So um, as you you walked in um, and, and we shook hands, you presented your your right arm, which is the side yeah. affected by the cerebral palsy. Have you ever had any awkward scenarios with that? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have sometimes, and I have thought about maybe shaking with my left hand. Some people don't expect it, or they get a bit sometimes shake or like walk a little bit back. Mm-hmm. And the, I remember that happening in high school actually with a teacher. I think I was accepting maybe an award or something on stage. And yeah, that used to, I used to feel a little bit insecure about it and get a little bit embarrassed. Yeah, no, that's happened a few times. Um, sometimes people don't know how to react or, it you know, is, aren't yeah. used to seeing it. Do you, yeah, do you know from, what I mean? from, Yeah, from personal experience, I don't know how uh, we're downstairs with Cam, but so when you came in the room and, and I shook your hand, I didn't quite get the whole, your whole hand because we've got yeah. like two fingers yeah. under, under, in between, like we had like thumb, index and middle finger. Yeah, anatomy 101. Yeah. Um, and so like sort of uh, went through with the, two, the pinky finger and, and the lower finger underneath, ring finger underneath, right? And it was kind of like, oh, did I, yeah. should I, should I try and re-grasp? For me, it was sort of like, am I doing the right thing? What, what can yeah. I, what should I, should I have done something different? But for you, what's, what's comfortable versus uncomfortable, I guess, is what I'm sort of getting to. I, I try and relax my arm before I do, like handshake. And sometimes, you know, if my arm is a bit stiff from training or, or from gym, sometimes I do get a little bit embarrassed because I think, oh, yeah, my mom is like a little bit more stiff today. But I know some people do shake with their other hand that doesn't have cerebral palsy. But um, And when you say yeah, stiff, sorry, is that like sorry, your whole arm? Yeah, and- whole arm and then my right hand. When I train a lot, my body gets, well, my left, sorry, my right arm and leg get a little bit more stiff and like the spasticity is just a little bit heightened. So yeah, that can make little day-to-day things a little bit more hard or just a little bit more awkward. But yeah. So you were just, as you were yeah. demonstrating that, you sort of showed your hand in a clenched fist and yeah. so like does your elbow sort of clench up as well sort of to you as your chest? It does. Yeah. 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 So yeah, sometimes handshaking or I just think some like little things like I love to get my nails done. And usually in high school when I was just a bit younger, still kind of understanding my body and all that, um, you know, I always used to get a little bit embarrassed because obviously right hand's a little bit more stiffer than left. And, um, yeah, I just used to get a little bit embarrassed sometimes, sometimes explaining like, oh, no, I've got cerebral palsy. It's okay. I'll, I'll help hold my hand. But now I just think, um, you know, that's that's how my body works. And, um, you know, now I get my nails done all the time and I just have to explain. I just go, no, this is – uh, yeah, this is what my right hand does. It's fine. Um, you know, I've just got to learn to control it and use the best recovery techniques and get massage and physio um, as much as I can. I was going to say, as a exercise physiologist yourself, you would know the best way to work with your hypertonicity and spasticity and that as well. Um, how have you found having that degree background with knowing neurological complications in particular? Um, how have you... Has that helped you? It has a little bit in understanding also sometimes my training programs and why I'm doing what I'm doing. and But also just being an athlete and training, going through all the motions has helped a lot too, especially working with my physio and sports scientist. They can explain to me why we do things or maybe why 
my body is um, is reacting to uh, different types of training sessions. So it's been good to ask them questions and build on my knowledge. Um, I think I think just being an athlete and um, yeah and yeah training and just understanding has also helped a lot more. You did say that para cycling and, and everything. I did read that you were doing para athletics beforehand and then switched over to cycling. Something I read, it said that it was to do with the complications of your right arm and leg that you were having trouble with it. it can you give a little more insight yeah. to that? I kind of didn't quite follow it. Yeah. So I was originally wanted to make the Rio Paralympics for athletics. Um, I had originally given cycling a go, but I didn't really want to, didn't really want to do it, um, which is kind of funny thinking about it all now, <laughs> um, <laughs> how differently it played out. So I, um, I'd been doing athletics for yeah a while and not making the Rio Paralympics. I, I thought, oh, I think I'm finished with athletics, but I feel like I need to give cycling a go because, um, when I was younger, I went to a talent identification day and they said that I'd be good at cycling or I should give it a go. And yeah, I gave cycling a go. I loved it. Um, so I thought I'd put all my energy into doing cycling, but biomechanically how my body moves cycling, I think is better suited for my body. Cause as I, when I did run, it put a lot of pressure on my right ankle, which is the side I've got cerebral palsy on. So I did, I did have a few stress fractures over time when I overtrained. So just being on the bike, I think how, um, biomechanically in that age, I'm a little bit more suited to the bike. Yeah. I think yeah, that, that, that makes sense. yeah, most certainly. Yeah. That kind of links on well to the, the third, I think it was the third question. Uh, name one thing you've given up for difficult reasons. So was mm. it the athletics and was it solely that, um, that pressure coming on, on your right hand side from the running and prolonged training and, and overtraining? Is that the, the predominant sort of reason that you, you, you gave it up? Yeah, partly. I had been doing athletics for a, for a really long time and um, my coach and I at the time did say after not making Rio, we'll go for one more season and try and make world championships and I didn't have the greatest season. I Yeah, we just we trained really hard and, and yeah, unfortunately I had I ended up having a few stress fractures in my foot but that was also very hard to s- to see as I ran because obviously I ran a little bit differently to everybody else and and how my how my legs ran my coach ran hard to kind of see if there was something wrong just if that makes sense just yeah, how yeah, I ran yeah, so yeah. but um were like, you, yeah were you, were you, was yeah, your foot it, the um, biomechanical movement uh, so wasn't like wasn't the same outward so, yeah. so I'd plant my foot outward so it wouldn't when I ran my foot wouldn't um, plant straight on the floor on on the ground so. That was a bit difficult, but it didn't go to waste. I think partly some of the success I have had in cycling has been because of all the strength training and and learning how to be an athlete and composing yourself on race day through athletics. So most certainly would have built a foundation to to rely on in cycling for sure. Yeah, and just yeah. understanding my body as well. I think even uh, yeah. competing against other athletes. I know when I was growing up, I was very big into athletics and as you were talking earlier with the girls in the pit and your classification and watching how they warm up. I know when I was younger and it was probably, you know, 11, 12 year old running in state finals and whatever else, the other guys in the race would be, oh, my, my heat was 9.26 and whatever else. And you're like, mine was a 10.4. Like, holy, how am I? <laughs> and they, they do this psychological, even at a really young age. So that's what made me think earlier when you were talking about the pits, 
even just being in athletics, you would have learned how to compete against uh, those different mind games that people play at the start line. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to beat you. I'm in lane four. You're in lane six. And there is very much a psychological battle, which athletics would have definitely helped with the cycling for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think um, every athlete's different before a race. Some people like to talk heaps and some people are very quiet because I'm very quiet and I just like to think about what I need to do when I'm, when I'm racing. So, yeah, there's definitely a psychological aspect of it, which, um, you know, in athletics, I was never at the level I am in cycling, but it definitely built that foundation of um, like zoning into what you need to do when um, not listening to maybe other athletes' input or um, or just, yeah, just focusing on what you need to do. So that definitely prepared me going to cycling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to rephrase that question slightly. Uh, so instead of like name one thing you've given up for difficult reasons, instead of on this back end of like professional uh, athletics or elite athlete sort of status, socially, has there ever been like a social opportunity or a social outing that you, in your social life, was there anything you gave up for difficult reasons? I don't think I gave up. I think, or I think this is, think this is what you mean sometimes when I, I think like just little things like maybe like card games or little board games. Sometimes I, uh, in a social aspect when I was with my friends, just because I have trouble with my fine motor skills and holding things, sometimes I would just sit sit out and just watch, still talk and interact, but just not play the game just because I, uh, I was a little bit embarrassed of I'm not being able to do that, which I've overcome that and, that, you know, I have really great friends that understand and will help me where they can but um i think that's what you mean but that's yeah, that is yeah. something yeah. i think of um i have sometimes don't play against james honestly <laughs> <laughs> the take a seat podcast is in your ears thanks to the suncoast spinners the suncoast spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club they run social inclusion programs including but not limited to basketball and rugby if you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergen, Morayfield and Sippy Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays or contact them on Instagram, Facebook or their website www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram or on their website again www.suncoastspinners.com.au. A topic that came up in our last um, podcast with Janine, Janine Watson, was the idea of, uh, I'm going to call it a different word and Cam's going to know what I mean. I might uh, explain it a little bit further. Inspirational objectification. Yes. So they've now put it out there as inspirational porn or objectification. And what James was getting with in this scenario is where someone has, you've gone to, for example, going to the sh- grocery shopping and you can carry the groceries from the shop to your car and you can actually put the groceries in, in the car and everyone goes, wow, that's awesome because you put the groceries in the in the car because you've got terrible palsy, not because you've put the groceries in the shopping and in the car because it's a difficult task. They've just gone, wow, you can do something that's so good because you've got disability. That's the concept that we're, that we found a lot of people are doing. And that's not because, oh, yeah, Paige, you can ride a bike. That's awesome or, or anything. No, you, you're a world champion. You are gold medalist. That's different. You are competing at the highest level. That isn't inspirational in the aspect of, oh, yeah, just because you've got a disability, that's what you're doing. No, you have done something at a world championship level. Is there anything that people have come up to you and really gone, 
wow, like that's awesome. You can do that when really it's just an everyday task and you're just like, yeah, that, that anyone can do that. It's not like it's a, something that you've kind of gone, well, actually, yeah, that w- that was really cool. Yeah. Or even have you ever experienced someone saying like, oh, it's, it's so good to see you out to that, like at that slightest level. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah, sometimes um, one time when I was on the road um, and when you when I do walk, you can tell I have a, like a little bit of a limp and um, someone, I think we were at a coffee shop, came up and, yeah, saw me walk and, you know, I explained to oh, an uh, Australian cyclist, I've got cerebral palsy and, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And then they, um, I think we ended up riding off and, until we went our separate ways. But, um. Yeah, and it's just those little aspects that you think are oh, it is inspirational, but it is not just because of my disability. It's just um, maybe what I've been able to achieve. But yeah, I've had that topic before. Where I've spoken about, and I've really come to understand the the difference between yeah, you know, inspirational or inspirational because of because of your disability, if if that makes sense. But yeah, it's definitely happened before. And I think this is where you and I, James, in particular, we witness this probably the most. We've said it over and over and over, and neither James or I have a disability. We know that, but we work heavily in, in the area that does. And only in the conversation with Janine, even where James is out and the person that he was out with, actually, they come up, oh, it's great to see you and um, out and about. And instantly in your mind, you go, well, are they saying it because it's it's great for them to be out or is it just great for because we're here as friends and we're hanging out and we come here for frequently? So, you know, that's something that we witness a lot and trying to get people's perspective of you don't have to do that just because a person has a disability or they've come out and been out and around that, yeah, it's an everyday normal thing to do. They're hanging out, they're coming having fun, like don't have to just put it up on a pedestal because it's an everyday task. It's it's just doing life. So that's what that's what we're trying to yeah. figure out. It's a, it's a hard one, hey, like um- – it's an awkward conversation nonetheless, like even for anyone to, to go up to someone and say, hey, look, like, so good to see you out here. Like, how do you just run to that? Like, if I go to a bar or if I go to a venue, someone's like, oh, it's so good to see you, you came out today. What was I expected to do? I don't know. Was it know rain- like- is it raining outside and I can't go somewhere? Yeah. Or- but, and then it's like, you know, like people with disabilities, it wasn't that long ago that, that they were sort of put in institutes and they were not cared for appropriately and they were very marginalized in their opportunities to be engaging in the community. So at what point does it get to where it is no longer a marginalized group? When is it socially equal that you see those with disabilities and those without disabilities engaging in the community frequently uh, and on par with one another? Going back to your cycling, and James did say about uh, Carol's big heavy bike, <laughs> is there any modifications that have been done to your bike in particular? Yeah, there has been. So I have a brake splitter on my bike. So that means I have um, the my brakes just on my left handlebar and all the gears on my left handlebar. So um, I can hold the brake with my right hand, but just, you know, in races and just on the road, I, I want to be confident knowing that I can brake um, when I have to. So they're the only modifications I have at the moment. So that's on my my road back on my time trial bike. On the track back, you don't have gears or brakes. Well, you have gears, but you have to change them manually. So, yeah, at the moment, it's just the brakes and gears, which... Um, it's. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said that because I've only, again this morning, rewatched your actual gold medal race and the commentator constantly throughout the whole race 
especially the start, was oh, Paige has uh, chosen a, sl- a lighter gear than the Chinese athlete has. Uh, this could be a benefit to her. It could be a detriment. You want to explain the difference between the gearing for a start midway and how, how it all works in uh, velodrome track racing? Yeah, so you've got to – it can take a while to pick the right gear. Um, and, yeah, the commentator was right. So when you're – when you've got a heavier – oh, sorry, a bigger gear, it does – it can take longer to to get up to speed because when you do start it's just that one gear so it can be it can be hard but you know once you know you train and you get um stronger once you get up to speed it can sometimes be a little bit easier you can push more on the gear as opposed to sometimes a lighter gear you're spinning a little bit more but um yeah over the years we've just had to play play around with different gears and um through local competitions just trying to decide what works and what doesn't because you're gonna um you're gonna have heat and fun when you need you're gonna need a backup um for those two events so yeah in Tokyo I was on a slider I was on a, a lighter gear um but yeah we had worked we'd worked around that and you've also got to take into the con- um the conditions on the track so if it's a if it's a hotter velodrome um, yeah, you're going to need different gears compared to if it's a bit cooler. Within a, a Australia, going into that competing nature, um, I can't imagine there's too many Australian athletes within your classification that are riding. How do you compete at a national level or state level and in, in, in that with um, minimalistic numbers? Or is there a lot of people that are competing in it? Uh, how do they go about that? Yeah, it can be hard um, sometimes because in my category in Australia, I am the only one on the team and it is always great when you can have other people in your um, category because it also, you know, pushes you and it's good to see where everyone is at. But, yeah, it can definitely be hard and I did find that with the competitions I've just done that, um, you know, I I will come first because I'm the only one in my class. But then, um, you know, you always want to have a look at where you are compared to your competitors around the world and, Especially, it can be hard, like, especially before Tokyo when we hadn't done much international racing, so you weren't sure what the girls were going to do. And we did find that in the individual pursuit. One of the girls did break the world record before me and we didn't, we didn't realise, we, we didn't think the girls would go as fast. So, so I can sometimes compare myself to maybe some, some of the other girls on the team and even though they are in a different class, but sometimes that's one of the options you can do because um yeah you are the only one in your class in Australia but um yeah it can it can be difficult sometimes also just the mindset because you you do come first but you're the only one in your classification in Australia so do you ride with anyone above your classification ability wise classified as yeah do you cycle with the with the able-bodied women's so locally when I do local um races I'm usually the only para athlete so I'm racing with the able-bodied girls um which is always good because they are a little bit stronger than me and they're always going to push me and I'm going to understand how they how they race and what they do differently so it is good to train with and compete with a mix of um of different girls but there are two other girls in the team that are c4 so it's less impaired on the team so they for the road we usually compete with each other and on the track in the scratch race so it's always good to see to compare yourself or not, not always compare yourself but just how you're doing in comparison to them on the back end of that question do you 
prefer or not prefer the use of the word able-bodied? Yeah, I I don't love that word. I don't love the word, but it's just so... Yeah, so it's a, sense, yeah no, I, I totally agree. It's it's really weird because it's I said it and I was like, that's so not the right word to use. Yeah. Um, but in the wheelchair basketball, you know, where so my background is, it's it's literally like I'm classified as an AB on the scorecard and then transferring to different sports and different different environments, that, that uh, terminology is, is, yeah, not preferred. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I probably don't love the word, but at the same time it's so it's so commonly used. Like I think. I was going to say, if you were to throw a title on it, if we were to go down that road, how would you like to be it to be said between para-athletes, Olympic athletes, people with a disability, without a disability? Is there anything that, that makes you feel comfortable? Sometimes I think, oh, if it was just – Australian cyclists maybe and we're all together like I, do, I don't mind para you know like a para athlete I don't mind that when I first started athletics it used to be AWD so that was athlete with disability so at least you know para is just a little bit different if that makes sense but um yeah it's definitely yeah able-bodied athletes can make you feel sometimes a little bit different which you are you are different but it's yeah probably coming up with another name i'm not too sure of but yeah yeah if that makes sense yeah and that's the thing is um i don't think anyone can can really think of a name of it at, at the moment and it's going to take a community of people to really describe and it's not it's not even describing what it's it's coming together that okay it's not going to be perfect for everyone there's going to be some people that are going to be upset with uh, as we're talking to someone um you know saying retard or spastic or person with a disability or abled or disabled or you know there's going to be something that's going to trigger someone in a different way in every single facet of what we do and how we talk i think it's trying to find that common and i, I say it as descriptive word where everyone feels included i think i think the i think the the, the phrase that's that's most commonly used now is person with a disability and person. So I think the maybe the better way I should have said that was do you prefer riding with the cyclists in the Australian Olympic side, as you said, versus do you cycle with anyone else anyone else on the Paralympic cycling squad? As opposed to referring to Paige who has a disability. Uh, is that the right Paige? Yeah, person as opposed to it's it's James and it's not oh and cerebral palsy is Paige. Yeah, I know I know what you mean. Yeah, it's um yeah, I've talked about this before. It's, um, you yeah, name the person first and then go, up. Oh, she has cerebral palsy. It's, it's swapping out how you, how you put it, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think it's getting better how people kind of refer, refer to it. But, um, yeah, it's just people understanding how to phrase it. So, yeah, it's important. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast, but most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at sunkospinners.com.au.